So we're continuing a series that we're calling uh, We Need to Talk, and we've been talking about the very aspects, various aspects of, of communication. So can we start with a little survey today? Let's just get brave. Let's just, if you have a relationship in your life that's close at all, or you've ever had a relationship, you know, marriage, brother, sister, a close friend, whatever, if you've ever had a relationship that was close in your life, can you raise your hand? Come on, the rest of you are lying. Come on. Never had a relationship of any kind? Come on to the altar. Let's pray. Come on right now. Jesus wants that relationship with you. Let's do it. Okay? Ever had one? All right. How many of you ever had a close relationship that never had a conflict? Big contrast between the hands that are raised, aren't there? The reality is that conflict is inevitable. Can I get an amen? always love to start sermons with a universal amen. That conflict is inevitable in relationship. It happens. But hear me, guys. It doesn't necessarily have to be bad. In fact, it can be powerful. We're going to cut our old, go old school today. Is that okay if we go old school today? Somebody said really old school would be a chalkboard. I ain't ready to go there. But let's go old school. Here's, here's what I want you to see. Dr. Jerry Bridges uh, taught me this years ago, and, and he says that conflict is kind of like a tunnel. Imagine that you've got two people uh, in relationship, whatever relationship you want to get one in your mind, might be a marriage, might be a friendship, whatever, you've got a relationship, and you're going along in life, and eventually you run into something that you disagree about. And all the married people said that didn't take long. <laughs> you know, because if two thinking people are going along in life, they're going to disagree eventually. Am I right? You take an imperfect person, put them in an imperfect person, do you get perfection? Oh, you get double imperfection. That's what you get. And so eventually there's going to be some conflict. But here's what I want you to understand. Intimacy that we long for is over here. So if you really want an intimate relationship, the only way you get there is to go through the tunnel of conflict. We call them tunnels because tunnels are dark and scary. And if they're very long, they look more like caves than tunnels. We don't want to go in there. But it's the only way you get to the intimacy that you long for. Now, here's the mistake that a lot of people make. They come to the tunnel and they say, uh-uh, I ain't going in there. I don't know if I trust the person I'm in relationship with enough to go in there. I don't know if I have got what it takes to go in there. And so what do we do? We double back and continue to live in the world called superficial until we finally say, I, this ain't what I signed up for. I'm going to move on to the next relationship. And I hear me, guys, we've become a generation of disposable relationships. So what's the solution? I said conflict doesn't have to be bad. What's the solution? The solution is to figure out how to deal with this tunnel God's way. The solution is to understand the dynamics of what's going on so that, in fact, we can become the people that have the intimate relationships that he wants with us and he wants us to have with one another. In order to do that, you need to understand the, the dynamics of an argument. And there are three phases uh, in an argument. First, there is recognition phase. Recognition phase is the phase of an argument where you know there's a problem, you're just not sure what to do about it. Anybody here in recognition phase in a relationship right now? Come on, don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Every one of us is in recognition phase in some relationship. There's something you need to deal with. You're not sure how to deal with it. It might be a sibling. It might be a parent. It might be a child. It might be a couple. It's, come on, any brave souls in the room? We're in recognition phase. We live in recognition phase. It's, it's part of Otherwise, you only have superficial relationships. 
right? You, you run into an old high school buddy 20 years later uh, in a store and say, hey, man, I haven't seen you in a long time. You're looking good. Yeah, you're looking good, too. Hey, let's do lunch. Cool, let's do lunch. And then you walk away, and you never see him again. Any conflict there? No. But there's no depth either. That's superficial. You get into a relationship that has some depth, eventually you're going to get to, ooh, we don't agree on this. Eventually, though, you don't want to live there, so you move into what I call reconciliation phase. Reconciliation is, is I don't want to live over here thinking this. I want us to work this out. And so you get into reconciliation phase where you begin to work on resolving some of those issues. And then finally, you move into resolution phase. You may have heard me say during this series, if you've been around, reconciliation always comes before resolution. The problem we have is that quite often we go straight from recognition to resolution and we never get there. So we need to resolve these issues. Well, you're never going to resolve them if you don't find a way to reconcile. Now, I'm going to say a lot of stuff to you today. I'm going to talk to you about how to work through the three phases of this kind of dynamic of recognition, reconciliation, and resolution. I'm going to say so much there's no way you're going to remember it all, okay? And so I'm going to say two things. First of all, email me at info at bridgechurch.cc and get this manuscript. This is huge. I'm going to tell you what, Kim and I have been married 43 years. We learned this 30-some years ago in a marriage retreat, and it, it, it just changed the whole dynamic of our marital relationship. So get this stuff. Get it. Info at bridgechurch.cc. The second thing I'm going to say to you is whether you do that or not, hear these words. You will never get to resolution phase unless you do phases one and two God's way. It simply won't happen. You've got to find a way to get from recognition to reconciliation, and then together you get to resolution if you really want to have intimate relationships. So can we unpack these three dynamics for a few minutes? Is that worth a few minutes of our time? Let's unpack this a little bit. Let's see if we can get a handle on each one of those phases and a little bit more understanding. Again, you can go to the Bridge NC app and follow along with me now. You can go, write me at info at bridgechurch.cc. I'll send you uh, the very notes that I've got stuck in my Bible right now. Uh, but let's lean into this for just a minute. So get a conflict in mind, something that you're in recognition phase. Let's make this practical. Get something in mind, and let's walk through it. In, in recognition phase, there is one do and one don't. There's one thing you do and one thing you don't do. So there's a do-do and a don't do. I just want to say do-do in church. It was just going to, okay, here we go. I know it's silly. Here we go. The, the do is, the thing you do do is you talk to God. You talk to God. As soon as you recognize their problem, uh, the first thing you begin to do is you pray. But you don't pray, we talked about this last week, you don't pray the solution that you've already figured out. What do you pray? James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. What are you praying for? Hello, are you out there? What are you praying for? You're praying for wisdom. You're praying for God's perspective. You're, you're praying, God, I, 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 I haven't figured this whole thing out. I need you to help me figure this thing out. I need you to tell me what's really going on here. And here's the harder part. I need you to tell me my part in what's going on here. And that's hard because let's be honest, guys, when we get into a conflict with somebody we're in relationship with, the human tendency is to believe it's because it's they got a problem. Boy, she's, she, she's, she's got a problem. 
what you may not realize is that her problem is the way you're dealing with your problems. Uh, That's what Jesus said. Look at what he said. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 and 5. Why do you notice the little piece of dust in your friend's eye, but you don't notice the big piece of wood in your own eye? First take the wood out of your own eye, then you will clearly see to take the dust out of your friend's eye. I get this image. I know my brain is weird. But I get this image of Kim laying on her back with a piece of sawdust in her eye, and I got a Q-tip, and I'm trying to get that piece of sawdust out of her eye, but there's this big old log hanging out of my eye, and every time I do something, I slap her with the log. Boom, 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 boom. And I don't even know it's there. I can't even tell it. And she's going, oh, what are you doing, man? You're beating me up. I'm just trying to help you. You got a problem, girl. Lay still. Why aren't you laying still? Because you're beating me up with that stick hanging out your eye. We do this kind of stuff to each other without even realizing that we're doing it. So the first thing you do in recognition phase is you do what? You do talk to God. You pray, Lord, give me perspective on this thing. No matter what it's going to take to reconcile and no matter what the resolution is, you don't get there until you do. Can I tell you that? If I discovered anything in marriage a very, very long time ago, probably within the first weeks or months of marriage, certainly within the first couple of years, most of the things that we fought about had nothing to do with what we were fighting about. We're fighting about who gets to be in charge. We're fighting about who gets gets their way. I see some heads nodding and some other blank stares. This is a no elbow throw zone, okay? None of this stuff going on today, okay? But that, I had a couple come to me in marriage counseling several years ago. They, they'd been married 26 years at the time, and their youngest child left home. And with a very short period of time, they realized they really didn't like each other very much. And that their kids was really the only thing they stayed together for. And so they were thinking about separating, divorcing after 26 years of marriage. Well, they wound up in my office, and, um, and I actually took them through a battery of tests and came to the conclusion that she thought he was a very controlling person and he thought he had no control in the marriage at all. They were as far apart as you can get in understanding the dynamics of their marriage. And so I asked her the question, uh, when do you think was the first time uh, that he tried to seize control? She knew immediately. They'd been married 26 years. She said, oh, we'd been married for less than two months. And uh, Understand that, that she was from that town, he was from this town. She left home, left her family, left her friends and, and when she married him and moved over here. So she left all of her support mechanism back there. And so she's calling her mom every day to talk to her mom during this first few weeks of marriage. And he walks in one day and slams the phone bill down on the table. Some of you are not old enough to remember this. But, but long distance was really, really expensive. Some of you remember the day, oh, shh, that's a long-distance call. Don't, don't make it last very long because they were expensive. You slammed the phone bill down on the table and said, you can talk to your mother for 15 minutes a week from now on. How do you think that one went over? <laughs> that set up 26 years of fighting over who gets to be in charge. Their children suffered, endured, 26 years of watching their parents fight over who gets to decide how discipline is done and rewards are given. 26 years of fighting over control. So during the recognition phase, I'm praying, Lord, show me what's really going on here. Show me what my part is. And I got to tell you, since I've learned this, it's amazing for Kim and I both 
how many times when we're in recognition phase and we do this, that, that uh, reconciliation phase with, begins with, you know what, I'm so sorry. I was being insensitive. I was being a jerk. I, I, I wasn't listening to what you were saying. Don't ever underestimate the power of a sincere apology. Sometimes you can go right straight to resolution mode, that simple way. But no matter what's going on, hear me. Jesus is the only hope of reconciliation and resolution. James chapter 2, chapter 4, verse 5, you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you, hello, because you do not ask God. What's the first thing you do when you're in recognition phase? You talk to God. What's the don't do? You don't talk to friends. You don't gossip. Now, there may well be a time, and we'll talk about that, there may well be a time when you bring some people into the equation, but at this point, instead of talking to God, here's what we do. We we go find some friends who will agree with our side of the thing, and we get them to support us in our position. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Of course we do. We go find somebody that says, you deserve better than that. You ought to leave the bum. How, how dare your boss tell you you ought to show up on time for work? How dare he say that to you? I mean, so they'll say anything to make you feel better because they're your friends. Are they really your friends? They're not helping you. Bottom line is don't gossip no matter how tempting it may be because the only thing you've done is make resolution, reconciliation harder than it ever was. So, so let me, let, well, let's look at it. Anybody know what gossip is? Well, of course you do, because you've done it. Well, you know what the definition of gossip is? The simplest definition I know is to talk to someone who is neither part of the problem nor part of the solution. You've got a situation going on. You start bringing people in. They didn't help cause the problem, and you're not asking them to get involved so they can help solve the problem. You're just looking somebody to reinforce your side. That's called gossip. And here's what happens when you've got two people trying to get into uh, reconciliation mode. They've got a problem. They start bringing other people into the mix through gossip, and some take their side, and some take the other one's side. And before you know it, you've got all kinds of sides. One of the first uh, churches that Kim and I served had two brothers that got into a to an inheritance squabble, and they started taking sides, and they started gossiping in the church, and this little country church had a little center aisle with pews on each side, and I walked out one Sunday morning to preach, and I realized that everybody on this side was on that brother's side of the thing, and everybody on that side of the church was on the other brother's side. They'd split the whole church because they gossiped. So what you want to do is you want to draw a box around you, the person you're in conflict with, and the problem. And understand that everybody you bring into that equation is going to make the box bigger. That's somebody else that you've got to bring closure to. So, yeah, there'll be occasions when you want to bring somebody in to help you solve it. 
you need some wisdom, you need some counsel, there'll be occasion when you might need a counselor to help you with that. But, but it's an intentional decision. It's a, it's a uh, I'm going to think through this and decide who fits in the problem box because the bigger the problem box gets, the harder it is to ever close it. I've seen couples get into arguments and start gossiping. And before you know it, they've solved their issue, but there's a whole bunch of people out there that now hate the husband or now hate the wife because they went on Facebook and started dishing each other on Facebook. And it's like, give me a break. Cyber gossip is still gossip. Jim's quit preaching and gone to meddling this morning. What in the world's going on today? Uh, hear me, guys. You're not going to close this. You're not going to go from recognition to reconciliation as long as you're doing that. And so when you're in recognition phase, what do you do? You do talk to God. You don't gossip. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 20. When you run out of wood, the fire does what? It goes out. When the gossip ends, the quarrel dies If you want to reconcile and resolve, you got to quit gossiping. But you don't understand what they did, Pastor Jim. I, I, I'm mad. I'm hurt. I, I don't know that I, uh, that I want to uh, reconcile. I don't know that I want to resolve this thing. And i got to talk to somebody. Well, um, then how about this for motivation? Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Here are the six things God hates and one more that he loathes with a passion. Eyes that are arrogant a tongue that lies, hands that murder the innocent, a heart that hatches evil plots, feet that race down a wicked track, a mouth that lies under oath, and a troublemaker in the family. He equates gossip and murder among the list of sins he hates. Guys, if we're going to reconcile, we got to watch who we talk to. And during recognition phase, we talk to God, not the friends who will reinforce our fears, our angers, our hurts. Got it? During that time, you're praying for wisdom, and you're asking God to help you understand the dynamic of what's going on. Once you get a sense of that, then you're ready to move into reconciliation phase, and there's one do and one don't in reconciliation phase. The do is, do ask for a peace conference. Do ask for a peace conference. What I'm talking about is you go to that person you're in conflict with and say, you know what, we need to talk. And everybody hates it when they're saying, oh, we need to, I don't want to talk. Come on, we need to talk. But this is not just we need to talk so I can attack you. This is we need to talk so that we can resolve these issues. Again, big mistake we make. Let me bring it back to this. Big mistake we make is we come together to have a conversation and, and, and we say there's an issue that's coming between us, so we start attacking, but we're really bad aims, so we wind up missing the issue and attacking each other. Before you know it, you're not even arguing about the issue. You don't even remember what the issue is. Now you're fighting about the way you're fighting, which is making the issue bigger and bigger and bigger. How dare you talk to me like that? I deserve to be treated better than that. And that issue is coming between you and getting bigger and bigger and pushing you further and further apart. And then you finally stop and say, what were we fighting about? I don't know. You know? I don't know. 
is because we attacked each other instead of attacking the issue. So in reconciliation phase, what you're, what you're doing is you're saying, guess what? We're together. We have a problem. And we have to find a solution to this problem. Guys, if your wife has a problem, guess what? You got a problem. <laughs> Ladies, your husband's got a problem, guess what? You got a problem. Your brother, your sister, your parents, your kids, they got a problem, guess what? You got a problem. And so you address it from, from, from the perspective of not attacking each other, but of attacking the issue and say, guys, if we can get together, put our heads and our hearts together and invite the Holy Spirit to be at the heart of this conversation, I believe together we can find his wisdom to solve this thing. But only by doing it that way do we ever get through this thing. So the first thing you do is you, you ask for a peace conference. You say, can we talk? And I call it a peace conference because that's the point. We're going to get together to try to find a resolution, we're going to try to make peace. That's what Jesus said we're supposed to do. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 4. So when you offer your gift to God at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister or spouse or friend or neighbor has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar, go and make peace with that person, and then come and offer your gift. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying that if you come to church on Sunday morning and they start singing that first song and you start thinking, I'm going to worship God, and in the midst of singing that song and trying to connect with God, it occurs to you that you've got a, a, a real problem going on with somebody that you're in a relationship with and you haven't dealt with that problem. He's giving you direction. I'm giving you permission to get up and leave church. Because it's more important that you reconcile with that person than it is that you attend church that day. No, he did say wait till after the offering was taken. Make sure that you give your. I'm kidding. No, I'm not. I'm kidding. You hear what I'm saying? Because it's going to come between you and God if you don't find a way to resolve this thing or at least do everything you can do to resolve this thing. And so you say, let's have a peace conference. Let's come together, see if we can figure this thing out. Now, there's a don't do, and that is you don't use deadly weapons. Uh, some of you are old enough to remember when, the, when America and the USSR were in the Cold War and, and we're fighting over nukes and all that kind of stuff, and we had all kinds of peace talks that were going on. And if you remember, uh, the one agreement that we made with Russia was, was uh, we won't nuke you if you don't nuke us. Why did we do that? We disagreed on almost everything else. But we knew that if we pulled the trigger, they would pull the trigger, and we'd have to pull the trigger again, and in 15, 20 minutes' time, we would have annihilated each other. So we said, okay, we won't use the nukes because everybody loses if we do. Well, there are some nukes when you get into a conflict resolution conversation trying to resolve issues and trying to reconcile. So let me tell you what, what seven are. I, I, I put them all in, the, in C words. Cause I call it sailing the seven seas of conflict. I just love to say that. But, uh, but these are seven deadly weapons that you agree not to use. Now, I'm serious about this stuff. When Kim and I first learned this again in a marriage retreat many years ago, we actually would print this out, put it on the table between us, and every now and then we, uh, Kim would say, I think you just violated number three. <laughs> and I'd say, oh, okay, sorry. Uh, I think you just did number five. You know, we kind of learned how not to do this stuff because we agreed that we wouldn't use the deadly weapons. Let's walk through them quickly, and, and we'll get on to resolution, okay? First of all, never compare. 
When you get into a conversation, an argument with somebody, never compare. Don't say you're just like so-and-so or why aren't you more like so-and-so. Why isn't it okay to do that? Because we're all unique. And none of us are just like anybody else. God made us in our mother's womb. Ham made us uniquely. And we could have family traits, but it's not fair to compare us. All you're doing is you're trying to gain power in a conversation. And the goal is not power. The goal is reconciliation. Never condemn is the second one. Condemnation, you know, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. That's the way you always, you're always that way. I knew I couldn't trust you to get it right. When you say that kind of stuff, you're moving away from partnership and you're moving into dominating the conversation and ultimately you'd never get together that way. Besides that, condemnation doesn't work. John 3, 17, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent his son to save it. Right? Besides, uh, nobody wants to hear it. I mean, we just announced the new sermon series is coming up in a couple of weeks. We're calling it Chain Reaction. We're going to get excited about what God's going to do as we begin to share our faith. We're going to, going to teach you some really simple ways to share your faith and, and, and bring people to, to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it's going to be a great series. We're looking forward to it. But if I had announced to you that the next series is going to be Condemnation Messages. Come for eight weeks of exciting condemnation. Bring your friends. How many people do you think would come to church for those weeks? Nobody. Because nobody likes condemnation kind of conversations. Besides, it doesn't work. I'd far rather tell you who you can become than to tell you what you're getting wrong today. Because quite frankly, you come here feeling guilty enough already. I don't have to heap any more guilt on it. Aren't you glad? The third one is never command, never command. When you start command, you start saying, demand that you, you will do this. Guess what you just did? You just left the reconciliation partnership and started dominating. You're never going to get there. Never challenge or threaten. Ultimatums don't work in relationship. You draw a line in the sand, what what do you do when they step across the line, when they call your bluff? They just don't work. Never be critical. Uh, yes, complain. We talked about that last week, of course. I, don't, I didn't like that. I, when that happened, that made me feel bad or sad or mad. Complain by all means, but you never go critical and start attacking uh, with one another. It just never gets you there. Number seven, never confuse. Never confuse the issues. Let's pause on that one for just a minute because I think this is huge, particularly marriage couple, married couples. How, how, how many of you have been married more than two years? Yes, hands. One, two years. You know what that tells me about you? You know your spouse's hot button. Within a couple of years, you figured out what the hot button is. Am I right? Come on, you know the hot button is that issue where you're having a conversation and you're losing the conversation, and so you bring the hot button up to gain control in the conversation. You're looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Of course you do. Kim gave me permission to share this story from our own marriage. Uh, early on, in fact, when we were still engaged, I was traveling uh, with a Southern Gospel group and, and was traveling around the Southeast and uh, 
And we were in Nisa, South Carolina for a week-long uh, singing uh, revival. We were singing, and I was preaching, and we had a great revival. Well, the first day we were there, the pastor's wife told the leader of our band, you know, we got a 19-year-old daughter, and your lead singer is this 21-year-old. We, we're going to play Cupid. And so the band leader came to me, knew that Kim and I were engaged, and he came to me and said, you know, you better nip this thing in the bud because we're going to be here all week. And so the very next day, I'm in there setting up some sound equipment, and the pastor's daughter came in. We got into a conversation, and I'm sure she was nice enough. I don't know. Uh, but uh, so, but I thought, okay, here's my chance. And I said, so are you seeing anybody these days? And she said, no, not really. How about you? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got to grow back home. And it ended the whole thing. We had a great week together. It was a wonderful revival. Subject never came up again. Where I made my mistake is I came home and told Kim the story. Now, I was proud of myself. She's over there shaking her head. I was proud of myself because I thought she'd be proud of me that I was confronted with this temptation, and I nipped it in the butt. I dealt with it. What she said was, uh, did you tell her we were engaged? Well, I didn't see the need to go down that road. She said, well, did you tell her I had a ring? Uh, no, I no. We changed the subject after that. She said, uh, did you tell her we set a date? No, I didn't know. I didn't know. I just, she said, so I guess that's all I am to you is a girl back home. First several years of our marriage, <laughs> we'd get into a conflict, and she would say, well, I can't expect anything else because to you, I'm just a girl back home. Uh, uh, uh. Now, hear me. I am not the hero of this story, and Kim is not the zero of this story, because every bit of it was on me. I never stopped, because I didn't understand this stuff back then. I never stopped during recognition phase to say, why did that bother her? All I did was defend my decisions. All I did was defend my actions. All I did was counterattack her for saying anything about it at all. I never stopped to say, Lord, help me to understand why that bothered her. Eventually, it took me years, but eventually I started to say, Lord, help me to understand why Kim brings that up. And it finally dawned on me, I was leaving her feeling insecure because I was on the road. And there would be all kinds of temptations, and she didn't know, but what I would come home one day and say, you know, I've met somebody. And so I said, Kim, we need to talk. We need a peace conference. I said, here, here, here's what's been going on, and I just need you to know how sorry I am. I was insensitive, and I apologize to you because you are so much more than that. You are the most important human being in my life, and you will be till the day we die. She's never said it again. Hear me, guys. When you start using these deadly weapons, you can get control in the conversation for the moment but you will drive a nail in the coffin where your relationship will be buried. Don't use the deadly weapons. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 29, the fool who provokes his family or friends or coworkers or bridge group members to anger and resentment, well, what does it say? Will finally have nothing worthwhile left. So remember the goal in reconciliation is what? Get together. Work together to find solutions. Say, I've got a perspective. You've got a perspective. God's got some wisdom. Let's find out what God's wisdom is, and let's work together to find uh, the solution. So during recognition phase, you 
do talk to God, you don't gossip with your friends. During resolution phase, you do ask for a peace conference. You don't use the deadly weapons when you start talking to one another. So now it's time to move into resolution phase. And here comes the hard work of finding solutions to the problems. But now there's two of you working together. Or if the conflict's in your bridge group or a group of friends, then it's the group of you working together to find solutions now. So in this case, you've got two do's and one don't. Do number one. Let me say one more thing before we get into that. You sometimes don't even have to get to resolution to get reconciled. There's some problems you will not resolve ever. Kim and I had a problem in our marriage that, quite frankly, I wish we still had. It went on for years. And that problem was, which family do we visit at Christmas? Do we go to my mom in Sampson County? Do we go to your family in Wayne County? Do we try to fit both into the holidays? It was a problem. Every year, once we learned how to do this, we came up with solutions together to solve that problem. But that problem didn't go away till my mom and dad had passed. I wish we had that problem today. There's some problems you don't have to solve in order to be together, but you do have to reconcile and come to agreement. So what do you do if there is a potential resolution? How do you get there? Two do's, one don't. Do number one is sometimes you just give the gift of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 and 5, love is patient, kind, it is not seeking, it keeps no record of wrongs. Now, some people would tell you that marriage is all about compromise, and you get to win sometimes, and, and your partner gets to win sometimes. Friendship can be that way. Sometimes you get your way. Sometimes they get way their way. But that's not God's way. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about keeping score and and you won some so I get to win some. That's not what we're talking about. Sometimes it's just a simple matter of I love you and this is important to you so I, I, I want us to do this your way. I don't necessarily agree, but it ain't a hill worth dying on because I love you more than this issue. So we're gonna do it your way. Now, if one of you is doing that every time, you got a whole other issue. But I'm not talking about playing doormat. I'm talking about being like Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. You put that verse in the context of what we're talking about today. Sometimes you just look at the person you're in relationship with and say, you know what, I'm more interested in what you want than I am in what I want. Because at the end of the day, my attitude should be more like that of Jesus Christ who willingly gave up what he had a right to, which was equality with God, and the throne in heaven took on the form of a man, the form of a servant, served all the way to death, died for your sins and mine because he loves us. He gave up what he had a right to because of his love. And so sometimes the resolution is, I love you, let's do what's important to you. The second do is sometimes you ask for help. Sometimes you ask for help. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 12, know-it-alls don't like to be told what to do. Amen. Don't look at anybody or throw any elbows. Know-it-alls don't like being told what to do. They avoid the company of wise men and women. I thought of, as soon as I read that verse this week, I thought of a young couple that I was doing premarital counseling with a few years back. And uh, 
and this young man, young couple, early 20s, neither of them ever been married, but this guy knew it all. He knew everything there was to know about marriage. He knew everything there was about conflict resolution. He just knew everything he needed to know. And so everything I brought up, he already knew it. About the third session together, um, I decided I better, I, I better say something here because she's playing doormat and this ain't going to work because um, she's just kind of going along with him. And so I finally said to him, I, said, uh, I asked to see him privately. And I said, here's what I, here's what I need you to understand. Um, I've got a, a 35-year successful marriage under my belt. 35 years at that time is 43 now. I've got a 35-year marriage under my belt. Um, I have a doctorate in my field. I've got almost 40 years of pastoral experience. If you'll listen, I might be able to tell you something that would be of value in your marriage. And he said, you ain't got nothing to tell me that would be of use to me. And I said, then I got nothing to do that would be of use to you. I'm not doing your wedding. And in fact, I recommend you not get married. And I called the girl back in. I said, don't marry him. Don't marry him until he humbles himself. They lasted two years. Know-it-alls don't like to be told what to do. They avoid the company of wise men and women. Pastor Andy will tell me every now and then, he'll meet with a couple and he'll say, I just don't, I, I tell them, here's some advice, and I can see by the look in their face, they have no intention of doing what I just told them, even though I read it straight from Scripture. Sometimes the wisest, most loving thing you can do is go get some help. And it doesn't have to be a pastor. It could be a trusted uh, friend that's going to give you biblical advice. It can be another couple that's been married longer than you, that's been where you are and has gotten to where you want to be. It could be your bridge group leader. It could be a pastor. Maybe it's a counselor, a psychologist. I don't know. But sometimes you go get help. Bottom line, two do's, one don't. Don't walk out. No matter how painful it gets, don't walk out. Remember I told you last week, when we get to resolution phase, the goal is agreement. And if the only thing you can agree to is we're going to stick this out, we're going to find a way to make this work, we're going to go meet at the counselor's office and work through this stuff, we're going to find a way to get past this. I don't like you very much right now, but I love you. And I believe that God's going to bring healing into our relationship. If that's the only thing you can resolve, then resolve it. Remember the tunnel of conflict? The reason intimacy is on the other side of that is when you go through conflict with somebody in close relationship and you figure it out together, maybe you don't even solve the problem, but you genuinely work together on the problem and you come out on the other side of the tunnel and you say, man, this guy stayed. When this gal stuck when I was being a jerk. These friends hung around when everybody else was bailing. They walked in. Everybody else was walking out. Guess what? I'm going to trust these people a little bit more. And hear me, intimacy is based on the foundation of trust. So as we work together, trust builds, intimacy begins to form. So don't walk out. Remember Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. God is working in you to help you want to do and to be able to do what pleases him. What pleases him? Well, I know one thing, Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. 
So when you get down to this point in this anatomy of an argument and you're not able to find solutions, you've tried to say, you know, I love you. Let's just do it your way. That didn't work. Let's get some help. And we, that still didn't work. Then you still don't walk out. You say, let's work on this thing. Let's find solutions. Let's pray together. In fact, go back to Philippians 2, 3 and change it to us. And I recommend if you can, pray this together. God is working in us to help us want to do and help us be able to do what pleases Him. That couple that I mentioned to you that had been married for 26 years and found themselves empty nesters. After I walked through conflict resolution with them and helped them to understand the dynamics of all of this, I looked at the, at the, at the husband and I said, uh, his name is Randy, I said, Randy, um, what do you suppose would have happened, now that you understand this stuff, what do you suppose would have happened uh, if you had walked in uh, with the phone bill and said to your wife, uh, honey, we have a problem. I realize that I took you away from home, and I just, I'm so honored that you gave up your own support mechanism to accept my proposal of marriage, and I'm just so honored that you did that. But I understand you had to leave home uh, to do it, and, and I understand you need to stay connected to your mother, but we can't afford this phone bill. Um, you know, we, we've got groceries and, and rent, so we need to figure out a solution to you being able to, to have your support mechanism until you build friendships here and us keep the budget. What do you suppose she would have done if you'd approached it that way? And he said, she probably would have sacrificed more than I demanded that she sacrifice because we came to the solution together. That's often what happens when we do it God's way. Bottom line, it is more rewarding to resolve a conflict than it is to dissolve a relationship. Let's pray. Father, we've all acknowledged today that conflict is an inevitable part of any relationship that goes beyond superficial. We all recognize that. We all understand that. We've all lived it. We're living it right now in one phase or another, in one relationship or another. But this morning in our song time together, we made this confession and this commitment that we need you at the center of our lives. It's not just in our lives as individuals. We need you in the center of our relationships as well. So here we are, Lord, having learned a little bit more about how the Humanity deals with conflict. Holy Spirit, would you make up the difference between what I'm capable of and, and what this teaching is calling on me to do? Would you be my teacher and my helper so that I will want to do what pleases you and be able to do what pleases you? Because at the end of the day, I know what you want is healing and hope and health in my relationships. And would you forgive me for the way I've done this badly? 
Give me a fresh start today. I know it'll take some work to learn new patterns, but would you forgive me for doing this badly? Give me a fresh start today. In Jesus' name. Keep your eyes closed for just a minute. I have a feeling that there's a lot of us in this room that needed to pray that prayer, and I hope you have. What I need you to hear me say by authority of God's word is if you prayed that prayer sincerely, you are forgiven. Now forgive yourself. You are forgiven. Now forgive yourself. And don't dare let your past define your future. Otherwise, it's not your past, it's your present. So accept his forgiveness and give yourself the gift of forgiveness. And now pray this prayer with me. Father, help me to do it your way going forward. Give me the want to. Give me the ability. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Thank you so much for being in the house of the Lord. I do pray that as we've talked about this very tender subject that comes close to all of us and all of our relationships, that you've heard it, you've received it, and the love that I'm trying to give it to you. If you prayed that prayer today and it's the first time you've ever prayed a prayer like that and asked Jesus to forgive you and give you a fresh start, then would you let me know? You can take a Connect card and write a note. You can text me at 55498, the word new life. Just let me know so I can pray for you this week. Church family, let's go from this place resolving conflicts and finding health in our relationships the way Jesus intended. Father, thank you for the privilege of doing life your way and the abundant life that comes from it. In your name we pray, amen.